So I'm going to be sharing three scriptures and I'm going to be sharing from or about three books. Okay, don't worry, we're not reading all of them. Um, a shorter word. My wife said short word. There's a slight difference. Um, so I was going to preach on one scripture and then there were two more that were just really on my heart. So it's only three scriptures. And so welcome to our Easter Friday service. And so our sermon title, my sermon title is Dying to Love. And Amu's going to drive us there. Okay. Dying to Love. And that phrase is a paradox. How many of you, when you, since you've heard this and we've been announcing this service, how many of you have wrestled with that, that phrase, dying to love? It's such a paradox. I mean, is it possible for those two words to be together like that? And folks, it's a phrase I heard years ago. I mean, and Walter and some of the older guys may remember it. We had a Mighty Men's Conference uh, in Greytown, and it was called Dying to Love. And from the first time I heard that, I was like... This, there's power in there. A paradox is an apparent contradiction. It seems like it can't, but it is so true. And, and it's such a brilliant way to describe what Easter is about. Friday, Jesus was crucified. Sunday, he rose again. Amen? He died to live. He died so that we may live. And so I'm wanting to unpack just a smidgen of it. There's no ways that I could unpack all of what that phrase means in, in my shorter message this morning. <laughs> But it's so powerful. I, I just want to bring it to you this way. Remember years ago listening to a, quite a well-known psychologist who was interviewed. And the person was asked this. They said, what would you advise somebody who just got the devastating news that they had some terminal illness? And, you know, that means your days on earth are limited. We actually all have a terminal disease. <laughs> Our days on earth are limited. We just, it may be a bit longer. But... What do you do when you get that news? Now, obviously, state of shock, and I, that's not what I want to talk about. The psychologist said this, said the best thing you could do is to find somebody who's worse off than you and just be a blessing to them. That is dying to live. You would think it's gimme, gimme, gimme. I'm going to eat the, as much chocolate ice cream as I possibly can. Just bring them by the truckload. How many of you are thinking, whoa, uh, you know, that's a, I'm going to deal with that news from the doctor, okay? Truckloads of chocolate ice cream. I don't know. You know, maybe if you under under seven, uh, you know, that's very appealing to you. But but what that psychologist said is, is, is so contradictory to the to the gimme, gimme, gimme kind of thing. And um, my brother's, my brother's brother-in-law, he, he passed away of cancer a few years ago. And he was a phenomenally well, well-to-do businessman, uh, heading up a, a multinational company in South Africa. He was the CEO, really top, top in his field. And that man changed so much after he got the news. He started helping other people reaching out to other people who had the same cancer that he had. He was such an encouragement that test me of the people that he reached out to. He emailed them, WhatsApped them, prayed for them. It was amazing. He was transformed for, from a mean machine businessman to the most amazing, loving, caring, compassionate person. That he, and, and, and ultimately, you know, I think that's a, how many people would remember him. It's something that happens. When we embrace dying to live. Okay, so let's go on. So if you don't know, on the next slide, um, my name is Jacques. There we go. Amu, is it frozen? There we go. Okay. 
uh, dying to live. But my theme scripture is this scripture, Galatians 2.20. It's a scripture that I've known for many years. I would say it's one of my favorites. It's very hard to pick a favorite scripture if you love your Bible. There's so many really good ones. It's one of those that I have often just memorized and, and meditated on. And, and for me, when, when, if you gave me, and, and this was my response, the scripture that most epitomizes dying to live is Galatians 2.20. Paul the Apostle says, I have been crucified with Christ, full stop. And to me, the rest of the verse is an unpacking of what he means when he says, I've been crucified with Christ. Now, folks, remember, he's alive. He's writing this as alive. But yet, he's talking about being crucified. He's talking about a death that he's experienced while he's alive. Paul knows what it is to, to, to die to live. And he unpacks it this way. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. No longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. What does that look like? Folks, when, when you can recognize that, that, that there were some very unholy desires in your life before you came to the Lord... Or maybe that you have found inside of you that, that you honestly, if you could see what's inside of you in somebody else, you would want to give them what for because that's not nice. But when you can recognize that God has transformed your heart like the businessman I was telling you about. When instead of all it was about was making money and, and whatever that looked like. To reaching out to people and desiring to encourage others. Folks, that is Christ living in him. That is the reality. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Paul goes on, And the life I now live in the flesh. You know, this is such an important scripture because there's so many people that have this concept that everything about the flesh is wicked. Folks, if you're a Bible-believing Christian, you only get to breathe on this planet if you have flesh, okay? Your earth suit and the desires that are associated with it. Folks, your earth suit gives you a right to walk this planet. And God has given you a calling and a, a, a ministry and a metron. And it's through this earth suit that we get to live it out. And so I want to say, similar to what I said like last week, absolutely the flesh has capacity for incredible wickedness, no doubt. Whether you're born again or not, until you leave this earth suit, it can tempt you to go down, down really scary paths. Our family was just referring, we were chatting about just the horrors of what we're seeing on our TV screens about the war in Ukraine. And it is horrific what man can do to man. I mean, you've seen, I, I don't want to describe, and I don't want to trigger some of you maybe. But we were, and, and my wife commented just, she said, it's amazing. The capacity of wickedness that one man can have for another man. But he says, in the life I now live in the flesh, what does it look like? I live by faith in the Son of God. I live by faith in the Son of God. Folks, there's a transformation when we surrender to Jesus. There's more than just a faith that when you die, you'll go to heaven. 
There's a faith that in this flesh you will live a life by faith. And there are things that God will sow into your heart. Seeds that God will sow into your heart. I'm picking up an example of a seed. That's the seed station if you were wondering. A seed. There's seeds of faith God will sow in your heart. And for some of us, the seed of faith grows to be so big that it's like, this life isn't big enough to see this come to pass. And we want to pass on that faith to others. And we have spiritual sons and daughters where we say, man, this is big. Will you catch the thing that God has ignited in my heart? The, the, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Who loved me and gave himself for me. There we see the dying part again. But Jesus went to the cross because of love, folks. Remember the statement, it wasn't nails that held Jesus on the cross. It was his love for you and for me. In our connect group on Tuesday night, we were chatting and we were looking at salvation and the incredible work of the cross. And it's the first, second chapter of the one-to-one. And I know most, many connect groups are doing it, so I don't want to cover that ground again. But a question came up. And the question was this. If we so messed up, and it's true, sin really has, has caused a lot of problems. Why didn't God just start all over? You know, why didn't just, you know, he send the asteroid or fire from heaven and just splat, you know, okay, let's try again, you know, you, you know? Why didn't he? You know, when the question was asked initially, I thought, you know, that's actually a very good question. <laughs> you know, I hope there's somebody over here who has the answer. <laughs> And you know, with often with these things, if we just reflect on some realities close to home, we see God all around us. And I, and I, I kind of immediately dropped into my spirit. What happens if one of my children had to go off the rails, whatever that looks like? And there are many, I don't even want to unpack, goes off the rails. Would I ever be able to find it in my father's heart to totally write that child off and say, you know, the extreme would be, I forsake you, I disown you, you know, whatever that looks like. And there are horror stories of that literally being done. And, you know, I said, I don't know if I would be able to write a child of mine off forever. I think for the rest of my days, I would pray for my, that child. And I, God forbid it doesn't happen to anybody here. I don't think as a father I could ever write my child off and say, oops, that was a mistake. Honey, should we try again? I, I, my father heart, I don't know if I could ever let go of that child. The child, the child that is birthed, births a a. a heaven in your heart of love for that child that is inexplicable, which makes a parent say, I'm going to contend for you. I'm going to pray for you no matter what paths you go on. And I believe that's the heart of God. The Bible literally says, I will, in, in Hebrews 13 verse 5, never, never, never will I forsake you. Folks, it is, it is quite amazing God's love for his children. I want to go on to, I said I'm going to share a scripture in a book. And this is a guy who wrote a book. It's a story. Uh, I want to just share a little bit about this guy, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And Dietrich, Dietrich was 
martyred by the Nazis in 1945. He was a Christian pastor in Germany. And in 1932, he wrote a book, and I put it up there, called The, the Cost of Discipleship. It is such a challenging book. I've got it on Kindle. I read it every now and then. I can't read too much of it at a time because it's just so challenging. This man wrote it in 1932, folks. That was basically seven years before the war started, the Second World War. In 1939, he, uh, Hitler was conscripting men for the army. Everybody was being called up to the army, the German army. And Dietrich did not want to go and fight in Hitler's army. And he felt very strongly that he couldn't do that. He couldn't support by picking up a gun and fighting for Hitler. And so he was, he was by then a well-known pastor. He'd written this book, had gone around the world. He actually got a job in New York lecturing at a theology faculty. And he said, thank you very much. This is literally months before the war started. Everybody knew, could see the war was coming. So he went, to, he went across to New York. And you would think, hallelujah, God has provided a way. God, you're my savior. I'm out of here. Dietrich, Dietrich got to America. And he said, it's the biggest mistake of my life. Dietrich was passionate about, he said, I want to rebuild Germany after this war on Christian foundations. And his conviction was this, how can I go back to Germany after the war and say, I want to help rebuild Germany if I haven't suffered with the German people all the suffering that they're going to endure through this war. And Dietrich got on a ship and went back to Germany and went through the war. He was arrested in 1943. He was arrested, folks, let me tell you this, what happened just before he was arrested. He proposed to his beloved. He got engaged. The next time he saw his fiancée was when she visited him in jail. The only other times he saw her. He proposed to her. And, and this is how he saw it. Instead of resenting, oh, we never got married, etc. He rejoiced that he proposed to her just before he went to jail. Because, because she was his fiancée, she could visit him. If she had only been his girlfriend, she wouldn't have been able to visit him. And she was able to bring him food and help smuggle out his letters and etc. From, from jail. Dietrich was arrested on the 10th, he arrested and executed by the Nazis on the 10th of April, 1945. 20 days before Hitler committed suicide and the war ended. 20 days before the end of the war, folks. He was arrested. He had just conducted, he was, he was taken to a concentration camp. He had just conducted a Sunday service. As the service finished, the Gestapo guards came and took him away. And just so, oh, sorry, I put the book up there. What happened to the book? Um, the Cost of Discipleship. Dietrich said this. This was, this was a statement which is just so profound. He said this. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Now, folks, I'm not saying every one of us need to wait for some security police to arrest us and execute us. I'm not saying that execution. Dietrich lived so that he might 
sorry, died so that he might live. And this is what, what, what I mean. Look at what he said. Look at these words. He said these words. When the guards came to arrest him after that Sunday morning service, he turned to his friend and he said this. This is the end for me, the beginning of life. Wow. 20 days before the end of the Second World War. And so, you know, it's people like this. When he says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. This aspect of dying to self and selfish things. Dietrich could have lived a really comfy life as a lecturer at a theology faculty in New York through the war. He chose to be with his people. You know, I reflect on that. I remember in the early 90s how many so-called men of God felt called to America because it was tough in South Africa. People were saying it's civil war, uh, it's going to be blood in the streets, etc. We were given the option last year in the, in the middle of the looting and the violence, we were given the option, get out of there, the whole place is going to burn down. I was so surprised by my reaction. Everything inside of me was like, I cannot leave now. This is the time that I need to be here. I need to be here with the people of God. And I need to be here to be an encouragement, to be light, to bring hope, to make a difference. It's in times of crisis, folks, that often so much is revealed of what's really inside of us. I want to go on. I said three scriptures. My second scripture is this. Jesus said this in John 12, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. The New Living Translation says, a plentiful harvest of new lives. My second two scriptures are about the seed. So I expect the seed station to be quite busy this morning. I'm holding my seed. Jesus, when did he speak these words? So he's talking here about a grain of seed being buried in the ground. And folks, he's using the analogy of dying because for this seed, and what seed is this, love? This is sunflower. Sorry, this is sunflower. Folks, just, just honestly, does this seed look anything like a sunflower plant or sunflower flower for that matter? No. What This seed must die. In other words, this seed must be planted in the soil and watered. It must germinate. And as the plant grows out of it, the seed is destroyed in its current state. It literally dies. That's, that's the, the metaphor that Jesus is using here. But what's the context he speaks this scripture? Let's just rewind. And I've just shown you the verse 24. Let's zoom out. And we're going to look at the verse before and the two afterwards. This is where it is spoken. Jesus said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Folks, Jesus spoke that just before Palm Sunday. Last Sunday was Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is when he came to Jerusalem and the crowds, the cut of palm branches, put their robes in front of him. Jesus said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, here's our verse. I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Folks, Jesus was, this is a prophetic scripture about the cross. Jesus was going to die at the cross. But look at it. Jesus was saying, I'm dying to live. Because he said, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. And the New Living says, remember I said, uh, a plentiful harvest of new lives. 
Folks, Jesus could see the life that would come in you and me as he went to the cross. And it's the same with us. If we die to selfish ambition, selfish motives, we say, God, I want your plans for my life. Oh, Lord, I'd love to have a cushy lecturing job in New York, but you called me to Peter Maritzburg. <laughs> Folks, I want to submit to you that maybe God will bring more life from your life in Peter Maritzburg than your cushy lecturing job in New York. He said, verse 25, whoever loves his life loses it. I want to submit to you, you know, Dietrich went to New York, took up this lecturing post, but he was absolutely miserable. He's, he's comfortable, he's got a car and a nice house, and a, you know, there's no threat of war, his family is safe, at least the family took him, but he's not enjoying life. He was deeply convicted that he was out of the will of God, that he needed to be in Germany with his people. And so, here he's got life. It looks like he's got life. He's got a car and a comfy job. But inside he's like, oh, this isn't the life I want. And he went back to the Second World War. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Folks, when we come to the cross, we surrender our lives to Jesus. Eternal life opens up for us. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Remember, those are the first words that Jesus spoke to his disciples. When he said, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And here Jesus is saying, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. Where I am, there my servant will be also. Folks, is Jesus in Peter Maritzburg? Absolutely. I mean, is he in Budapest? Absolutely. The question is, are you where your Jesus wants you to be? If it's Peter Maritzburg or Pofader or Perth, <laughs> you know, just get on the plane and get there. Amen? Be where your Jesus wants you to be. And where I am, there will be my servant, will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor me. I think at the end of the day, when it's said and done 10,000 years from now, nobody who has chosen to serve God above pursuing selfish self-interest would regret it. Because there will be honor from the Father that I believe is going to be quite astounding. You know, I mean, forget the Oscars, okay? Forget Will Smith. Okay? It's not going to happen in heaven, you know? You're not going to go up for your crown of glory and, you know, Will Smith come and clap you. Don't worry about that, okay? They're angels on God, okay? There's going to be an honor that is just phenomenal. That's my second scripture. But this concept of the seed, folks, this station here is quite a significant station. You're going to get a seed and you're going to get a chance to bury a seed. And there's instructions over there. But, folks, planting that seed can be so symbolic for you. I want to read to you this, this book. I've, been, I've quoted a number of times, The Divine Romance. It's the story of the third day. The third day of creation where God created all the green stuff. Look at the beautiful green stuff outside. Oh, it's just, you know, you live in Peter Maritzburg. You just say, we're on our way to heaven that God created such a beautiful place. On the third day, a most remarkable event occurred. And in this book, he's describing 
kind of the back story of what happened as, as he is inspired, I believe, by God to write. It's not scripture. It's, it's a man's writing. But, but he describes this discourse between, particularly, yeah, he's describing the angels looking at creation and just like how they must have, like what on earth is going on here? On the, at first the Lord God created a very small object, holding it forth in his hand, motionless for a long time. He stared at the object. The angels began to sense his feelings and see his emotions reflected in his face. He was observing the singular solitude of a small object. Whatever it was, it was one of a kind. This is a seed, declared the Lord. Almost sorrowfully, his somber demeanor, his sober countenance sent a chill across the angelic host. The seed abides alone. There was such pathos in his words that in the eyes of watching angels, that seed seemed to become the loneliest element in creation. The Lord took up again his silent watch over the seed. A shudder of uneasiness moved across the heavenly citizenry, citizenry as the silence grew almost unbearable. The seed will remain alone forever unless, unless it falls into the earth, he continued. With that, the Lord dropped the seed into the fertile earth. There was a moment's pause, then suddenly something burst forth from this new and fecund earth full growth it was something alive angels were dumbfounded could anything alive also be visible and not only visible but green soon the whole earth it seemed was clothed in the verdant garb angels because they were both invisible and neuter and without even the concept of being able to reproduce were now confronted with a stupefying scene before them. They were staring at something, something alive, something visible, and something green. Furthermore, reproduce. Being neuter, the angels, the, for the angels, this matter of reproduction was beyond the angels' highest grasp of revelation. They did grasp, though, that the Lord God observed this living, visible, green, and reproducing herb with the greatest intensity. This tiny herb, it seemed, could spawn and reproduce after its own kind, like begetting like. Kind bearing its own kind, yet truly was something very unlike heavenly realms. Unlike God, unlike angels. This was visible, this was green, this was alive, and this could reproduce. How strange, thought the angels, for such an idea to be within the mind of God. How strange, too, that a lowly seed had so captured his attention. Dying to live, dying to live. Our last scripture is this one. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 36 to 38. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body 
as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. Another scripture, last scripture on the seed. And, and the Lord is here speaking by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through Paul the Apostle who's writing this about when we leave this earth suit. And he's speaking about the resurrection body. And he says, verse 38, but God gives it to a body as he has chosen and to each kind of seed its own body. What's he talking about? Folks, the body that comes forth from this sunflower seed is very different to the body of the seed. You put a picture of a seed and a sunflower, they, they're very different. But more than that, each sunflower plant is slightly different. I mean, if you had a look, the leaves are different places, they're different heights. I mean, no sunflower plant is the same, just as us. The Lord brings from a seed a different body. How does this apply to our lives? Folks, faith is ignited by a promise from God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. You get a promise that God wants you to, maybe to go somewhere. God called us to Peter Maritzburg. Now when the Lord calls you, you imagine something. We, we imagined a church. And in many ways, this church, 16 years down the road, is so different to, if you had quizzed me what our church would look like, you know, 17, 18 years ago. It's just different. Am I unhappy? No. I'm delighted with the body of this seed, of this faith that we had to plant a God-honoring, spirit-filled church in Peter Maritzburg, multicultural, multi-generational, one foot on the campus, one foot in the community, passionately loving God and loving people. We had a picture of that, but it's also different to what we imagined. But I want to come back to this. Are we okay with the body that God puts on, the faith seeds that we sow in faith. So often we are not. And I want to say, it, it's so, for example, children. I mean, every parent has an expectation of what a child will be like when they're in the womb. You're dreaming about this child. You're dreaming about playing and, and whatever. You, you think so much as a parent. Does that child grow up exactly the way you thought? No. God gives that child a body as he ordained it to be. I totally embrace how God has made my children to be, and we can't change them. I'm not God, and nor is my wife. But this is the deal. It says here, And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain, but God gives it a body as he has chosen and to each kind of seed, its own body. I actually want to close with that. There's another book and another slide. We're not going to go there. Folks, for some of us, we're wrestling with a body that the Lord has given to a seed of faith that we've pursued. For some of us, it may be a career that you thought looked like this, but it turned out different. Maybe a job. Maybe a relationship. Are you able to rest in God that this body is the body that He has ordained to come forth from that seed of faith that you've sowed in Him? For some of us, that's a wrestle. For some of us, <laughs> dying to live, it's a case of, Lord, I release it with you. 
Will you bring it forth the way you want to bring it forth? Lord, I want to thank you. I want to thank you that dying to live is not just something that happened on a cross 2,000 years ago. Dying to live is, is the real life that we live each day. Dying to live is a life of faith, Lord, and the life of faith in this flesh is, a, is an amazing life. It's an exhilarating life. It's a, it's a thrilling life. It's sometimes really, really scary. But God, we wouldn't choose to live any other life. So Lord, I pray for every one of us, Lord, that the reality of dying to live would would be our reality, Lord, even as we go to these stations now. In Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit our website at www.hispeoplepmb.co.za And for more of our messages, visit our YouTube and SoundCloud channels as well as other podcast platforms. If you would like to contact us, please email us at hispeoplepmb at gmail.com or send a message to 061-452-0877. We hope to see you soon. God bless you.